This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Austin may not be the biggest city in Texas. It's number four. But it has always prided itself on being the most culturally diverse, the most bohemian, the liveliest, and the most musical. Austin is the state capital, but it is also a college town with more than 50,000 students at the University of Texas. And it is home to the South by Southwest Festival, the Austin City Limits Music Festival, and numerous other creative gatherings, as well as a lively theater scene. In the past decade, Austin has also become a magnet for tech companies and entrepreneurs, so much so that it has been dubbed Silicon Hills. Austin is now one of the fastest growing cities in the country, but will it become a victim of its own success? Many natives and long-term residents are worried the city will lose its distinctive qualities that have made it so appealing. In fact, keep Austin weird has become a popular refrain around town. And how has all of this affected the city's design scene? I'm pleased to have with me three designers to talk about the city, its design aesthetics, the changing demographics of clients, the rewards and challenges of working there, and why they love the town. First is Fern Santini, one of the doyens of the Austin design scene. She's known for her eclectic, glam, richly colored, and art-filled homes, both city apartments and ranches in the countryside, many of which she conceives from the ground up. She has established a collaborative team of architects, artists, and craftsmen with whom she works regularly. And most recently, she has reinvented the idea of the show house with her Austin in Stereo project, which raised funds for Austin's musicians impacted by the pandemic. Hello, Fern. Hello. How are you? Good. I'm so glad you're here. We also have Avery Cox, whose youthful, contemporary, and colorful rooms have been influenced by her stints working with Amanda Nisbet and Jamie Drake in New York. She followed her time in Manhattan with a five-year stay in Portland, Maine, before moving back to her home state and starting her thriving Austin-based firm. Welcome, Avery. Hi, thanks for having me. And finally, we have with us Malcolm James Kuttner. Although he was born and raised in Houston, for most of his career, he worked in New York and London, where he lived in an historic home in Spitalfields. His classic and elegant interiors are infused with his love of history and the decorative arts. But after a recent visit to Austin, he now plans to spend half the year there, and we're going to find out why. Hello, Malcolm. Hi, Michael. So glad you're all here. So, Fern, I want to start with you, since I think you've been the longest in Austin um, <laughs> of the three. Steadily, that is. So I want to get a sense from you. I know it's always been a lively, artsy, and creative town. Has it changed much in the last 10 years or so, do you think? Have your clients changed? Yes. It's always been very bohemian, as you said, to start with. But I think over the last 10 years, in some ways, Austin's always been a small town. And it's still kind of a small town in the sense that there's so many people here that know everyone. But I think how it's changed is what I loved about Austin, the Keep Austin Weird, the artistic thing, the diversity thing, all came from the 60s and the 70s, really, with the hippies and the beginning of the music movement here. 
And a lot of those people have died or they've really been forced out of town. I mean, the arts community seems like every decade gets forced further and further out because it costs more money to live here. And now it's off the charts. So what they've been replaced with is not exactly the same thing. So my clients have become where they used to be more local. Austin maybe have lived here for decades, or they were actually natives, which there's fewer and fewer of those. They now are largely from out of state, people that are moving here to change their residency and moving here full time, but they probably have houses many other places. So that's been a big change for us. Yeah. Now, Avery, you had been away for a long time. I mean, uh, how did you find the city when you returned? That's right. After going to school in Georgia, I lived on the East Coast for a long time and got pretty familiar with the East Coast design scene. And moving back to Austin was definitely a change or moving to Austin, I should say. I'm I'm actually from Dallas. And it was a welcome change. I was so excited to be in a place that felt more casual, a little bit more laid back definitely people taking a a slower pace. The creativity and the collaborative nature of Austin has been something that I've really enjoyed. And just the supportive design community, it was a perfect place to start a business and get support from other designers and, and be really excited about the scrappiness of the city. I think people here have an idea and go for it. And it's a place where you can really grow slowly and steadily and nurture a cult following. So in that way, I think Austin has been a really beautiful place for me to land, and I'm, I'm happy to be back in Texas. Great. Now, Malcolm, you know, I didn't even know until I ran into you at an event a few weeks ago that you were thinking of, you know, at least spending half your year in Austin. Now, what prompted that? Because, you know, you lived in New York, you lived in London. You're a highly sophisticated person. Not that people in Austin aren't. I know they are, <laughs> believe me. But, you know, I, I was just a little surprised that you were so excited that you wanted to go spend that much time there. So can you tell me what you discovered? Yeah, it's a pretty straightforward thing. It was clients. My clients brought me there. I was born and raised in Houston and I actually have a long history with Austin too. My grandfather was the first All-American from the University of Texas who went on to the NFL. So for me, Texas was all wrapped up in this whole kind of machismo football players, the University of Texas, (laughs) the oil business. And I I needed to get to London as fast as I could. And, And luckily the women in my family identified that. They thought, oh, we have somebody who wants to go see the world and who likes really pretty things. But, you know, my grandmother said once, sometimes you find all roads lead to home. And I've worked very deeply and very extensively with one family for many years. And it's not been unusual for me. Like I went to L.A. for two years and camped out there. I've always kept a home base here in New York, which is where I am right now. And they started doing a lot of stuff in Austin. My client's daughter married a man from there. They had a house and things started developing. And it was a combination, this sort of confluence of COVID happening. And normally I would have just been on an airplane a lot, going back and forth, supervising the projects. I work kind of as a combination. It's like a design director. So I do the design work, but I'm also a project manager and kind of like an owner's rep. With COVID, it just made a lot more sense. And I love Austin. I always loved it. My uncle and my cousins lived there. So when I was a kid in Houston, it was like always the fun place to go. I mean, I didn't like Houston and I still don't. But Austin was always cool. It was fun. It was, you know, where the the fun stuff was and the cool stuff. And so I was really excited to go back when my clients started. There was enough work to justify me basically getting a place there. I've taken on a couple of other small clients 
But, you know, I'm pretty much a one-man show now. I got rid of my big office a few years ago. I have one assistant and people who do bookkeeping. So it's me. And it's really fun to be in Austin. I'm very hands-on. So I like to work. My whole background is historical things. So all the projects we're working on are very historical, right in old West Austin. And we worked with one contractor on all of them for the most part. And I love that. I love getting down on my hands and knees with the guys who are doing the mill work and and solving problems on site instead of, you know, all on digital drawings that I can't honestly even open anymore on a computer. <laughs> I'm like, please send me a PDF or FedEx me something that I can look at with the pencil and, you know, my glasses. A piece of it's paper. <laughs> a piece of paper, yeah. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things I really like about Austin is I find Austin still retains a little bit of that kind of old world sensibility. I, I don't feel alone in asking for a piece of paper and a pencil. <laughs> I'm around a table a lot of times with these guys who are making furniture, doing millwork, putting windows back together in really old houses. And they're the same way we're doing things on the back of napkins, you know, and, and I love that. And I find that I, I feel at home in that way in Austin. So well, one of the things that impressed me and Fern, you can speak to this as well, but what you were just saying Malcolm, about craftsmanship. And it seems like, I, I mean, so many New York designers that I talk to, say how hard it is to find craftsmen or that craftsmen they find are overworked. But it seems like there's more of a tradition of that. And I know, Fern, that that's been a big part of your practice is to have what you call your collaborative. So could you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, I think Austin is lucky in the sense that there are so many, and it's been like this for decades, people come to UT and they go to school here and they don't want to leave. Thank heavens. So, you know, and it used to be back in the 80s, people would have to leave because there was nothing that you could make a living at if you didn't work for the state or you didn't work at UT. And that's, of course, changed with the tech boom and all of that. So younger generations coming up in some things where maybe it's a dying art in other places. Here in Austin, it's a cherished tradition. And these people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s can have a really fantastic profession here, and there's people that appreciate it, and they can stay in the community that way. But Austin is, I think, overall highly educated. I just heard a stat that 44% of the people in Austin proper have at least a bachelor's education, which makes a big difference in how progressive you are, how worldly your view is. All of those things, I think, enter into it. Um, I have a young guy that I've been working with who I just adore, who grew up in Amarillo, but apprenticed with someone in London, and he's a master furniture maker. And I sat down with him one day and talked to him about, I was looking at the uh, Ruhlman book, and I wanted a French polish. And he knew exactly what I was talking about. And he was like, but we don't want to do 30 coats of shellac. We want to do something else that's more durable. But he knew what I was talking about, which I think is extraordinary. And the bigger thing that was extraordinary is that he grew up in Amarillo, and when he decided to move back to the United States, he only looked at one town, <laughs> which yeah. I totally agree with. That's I mean, right. I've I've had a 45-year love affair with this town. I still love it. So we're happy they're here. Great. There, there does seem to be a London-Austin connection here, <laughs> you know? It's funny. Now, Avery, when you move back, well, I know you moved back to Texas and you moved to Austin for the first time. How did you find the people? Was it a surprise to you? Not that we want to be condescending because there's one thing I hate is that East Coasters tend to be so condescending to, you know, fly over country or Texas. I love Texas. Don't get me wrong. I think it's incredible. I even like Houston, Malcolm. So, you know, 
Me too. I mean, but I prefer Austin. <laughs> right. But for sure. So, but when you went back, having worked in Portland, Maine, for example, what was the difference in the kind of clients that you were getting? Or were well, they very similar? No, I would say they, they weren't. You know, what's interesting about Maine, and this could be a whole other episode, is <laughs> I find that a lot of the work in Maine comes from outside of the state. It's a lot of vacation homes. People hire their designers from Boston or New York City or even California, wherever they live. And so working in Maine was actually, it was really difficult to get projects of the caliber that I was used to working on in New York. And so moving to Austin was really fun because right away I started to get some projects that really allowed me to express what I do, be creative and push the envelope and sort of tackle that Southwestern color and combine all of the aesthetic vibes that I'd collected over my career and really implement them in Austin. And the other thing that I found that I was surprised by was just the willingness to share work and resources in Austin. I thought that was something I hadn't really experienced in other cities. The collaborative and supportive nature of the design community here really helped me launch my firm. And that most of the projects I had in the first couple years of business came from other designers referring me to their clients that they didn't want to take on. So it's just been an overwhelmingly positive experience being back in Texas. And I think Texans like have that. It's like one for all sort of mentality. And I love what Malcolm said about it. it is a little old world here. It's like, it's the old school Texas vibe here in Austin specifically really rooted in some grit and some of that Western frontier mentality. So yeah, it's been, it's been really fun and surprisingly welcoming. Great. But Fern, you did mention gentrification. I mean, when you were saying the, the artsiness which often right. happens in many cities, certainly happened in New York. Soho, you, you'd have to throw a rock pretty far to hit an artist in Soho these days. Right. But how has that affected those people that you work with or that were your early clients? Have they moved further out of the city? How did they respond to all this incoming tech money, which can be drastic? Right. I mean, obviously, the boom in Austin is great for all of us in this end of the business. For the city at large, it's going to be hard to hang on to what I love about Austin with all of that changing. I think it's still possible. There's something here that, I mean, I grew up close to Houston, and I just, maybe it's my romanticized version of the city that I love so much. But, you know, I think we kind of make up the rules as we go along here, which is exactly what we all did in college, right? We just live life by the seat of our pants, making it up as we went along. (laughs) And that's not possible in Austin the way I did it in the 70s. I mean, hitchhiking is out. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But it's still a town that celebrates diversity. And I mean diversity of all kinds. And as long as we do that, we'll still continue to attract young people to come here, I think. And so that's what hangs on to make to making it still the Keep Austin Weird thing. But those people, as people move in from other states, that the property values have gone up and up and up and up. Obviously, I mean, I think the next generation is going to have a very difficult time buying a house here, right? If you have an an artist that have been here, if you haven't already bought property, this is the same thing that happened 15 years ago, then you're you're in trouble. And that's a difficult thing to to balance out, I think. So they do. They move further and further out and I go further and further out to to meet with them. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of inevitable. Now, not to get too political, but 
Austin is the state capital, and, you know, there's a lot, I don't know how to put this, but there's a lot of, like, controversial legislation that the city's trying to pass, and it's and it's not the kind of thing that would, I would say, encourage diversity among the residents. Exactly. So, do you think that's going to have a bad impact on Austin over time, or do all these other outside people coming in is going to change the electorate? How do you see that happening? Do you think it's going to be a battle for a while? I do. I mean, I think Travis County has always been called the blueberry in the pie. Yes. Traditionally, it's always been liberal. Traditionally. I think the state at large, though, is not anywhere near that. And that's who's trying to push all that stuff. I think there are a lot of businesses that are going to look at that and go, wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, as nice of a business situation that we have for people, we don't, you know, we don't tax businesses are coming here because we don't tax them like they do in some other states. It's business friendly community. But that I think uh, smacks of things that people will really object to. I'm hoping that that just the money angle of it might influence the state capital where uh, anything else is not going to. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. And Avery, do you feel sort of the same? I do. I think it is going to be a battle for a little while, but I also feel really hopeful. It feels like a sea change to me right now. I mean, I see Texas definitely as a purple state, and I see a lot of people doing a lot of work. And if there's anything that riles people up in Austin, it's trying to put limits on others. And I think Travis County is a leader in the greater state. And I'm really hopeful that that energy coming into this area and all of the younger people moving here are going to be really effective in making permanent change here. And Malcolm, what about you? It's about how are we going to preserve craftsmanship? How are we going to preserve things that are made by hand by people who have names and who have birthdays and who have families? And how are we going to keep the communities together where we all sit down and have a cup of coffee and solve problems with a view to how to solve a problem with function and aesthetics in mind and not get so lost in this digitized world where everything is so, everybody wants everything so, they want it faster and they want it cheaper. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just, you know, it's not the question you're asking. I'm taking it in a little bit of a no, different I, direction. Actually, I'm glad you did because I was <laughs> going to bring up the aesthetics, but go ahead. But that's, uh, that's what I see starting to happen a little bit in Austin, you know, and I'm working alongside some people who are, you know, there's a demand now. There's all this money coming in and they're used to things happening on New York time or on London time. It doesn't happen that way in Austin. Austin is a really no. small town and people are spoiled for choice. Like they get to these guys that I've been working with, they get to decide who they're going to work with. And it does not matter if you're like, well, I'll pay more money if I can get it faster. That almost makes you go to the bottom of the list. And I kind of love that. (laughs) I love that. Because, you know, you've got to be, you've got to have your P's and Q's. You've got to remember these people's names, look them in the eye, invite their creative process, their experience. You know, I've always said, 
I've always been such a champion. That's what got me into this business in the first place is this love of things that are made by hand. And I rely so much on the people who make stuff for me because like the guy who makes curtains or the woman who makes, do they see more curtains in a week mm-hmm. than I'm going to see in years? Mm-hmm. That's all they do. They can solve that. You know, it's collaboration. And that's what I love about, you know, what Fern was saying. So I think what's happening in Austin, you're getting a lot of people who are coming in and they're going to have a little bit of a rude awakening because they want things faster. And they think it's like, oh, it's we're in the middle of Texas and things can be cheaper. That's not the case. No. Just kind of going back to the political thing, you know, what I'm interested in is how are we going to keep all these things afloat and together? Because I really feel mm-hmm. we're in danger of losing a lot of that as a country, really. And yes. it's also tied to the way that the climate comes into it, which is a big thing for me yes. and, and for my clients that mm-hmm. I work really closely with. That's their big thing, you know, and, and, and it is all related. It's, yes. So I like to be optimistic. And I've recently, in the last couple of years, I've really come to have an understanding that the very small decisions that I get to make and I get to direct and the small amount of money that I have that is my clients, I do sometimes get to choose who's going to make this product. And I get to interview those people and I get to Mm -hmm. pick where that is going to go. And those decisions add up. Right. Absolutely. My thing is like trying to educate other designers about that process, you know, that vetting process, that methodology. It doesn't matter. You know, we might all have different tastes and what somebody else is going to do is totally different than what I would do or what a client might want. But the methodology of working with artisans and craftspeople to get a job done in a way that sustains that. Right. And I see that really happening in Austin as more people move here. There's more of a tradition of design and a focus on aesthetics. And I'm hoping that we can be ambassadors for supporting those artisans and craftspeople. More people that build here and more people that care about Austin. And if they're hiring local designers, they're really going to focus on that. And I hope that sustains Austin and even lifts Austin to a higher focus of as a design city in the United States. Now, Fern, I would love it if you would talk a little bit of detail about your collaborative and and a little bit about the Austin and Stereo project that you did, because it's a it's something that's different than right. used to seeing in New York or Kips Bay, that kind of thing. But also, it seems like it's very much dependent on the kind of community that Malcolm was talking about. Totally. It totally ties into what we were just discussing about collaboration. So my sister and I decided to start this new venture and build a house. It's basically a speck, but not like a speck anyone's ever seen. And we're trying to build it like a house we would do for a client where we put a team together with everyone's at the top of their game and we build it with integrity and we furnish it all the way through like that. It's instant gratification. You walk in, it's done. And how could we do that and start a new business with a different business model that's a win-win for everyone? That was on the board from the get-go. And so we thought if we put this collaborative team together and then we go out and we find project partners that we can, it's basically the people I go to that make me look good. Mm -hmm. And For all the people that are willing to tell you their resources, there's a hundred people behind them that aren't willing to tell you their resources. I had an interview with AD last year where I pretty much got a lot of negative comments for saying that I believe in, in giving out my resources. I think that that's the American dream and heaven knows I've lived it. You know, to be able to make a living and work at the level I work out is a gift. I just feel so lucky. 
And I charge more than I did 30 years ago. I would hope. That's the whole thing, right? Is that you can do, hopefully you do great work. You do work you're proud of and you support the people who help you get there and they will climb up the ladder with you, right? So why would that be just for me and my client, but not for someone that made the dining table? You know, he has just as much skin in the game and he has as much right to that. So he'll cost more. It'll be harder to get. And you just deal with that, right? And that's where Austin ties into that, I think, is that there is a generosity of spirit here that people recognize. And hopefully we can foster more of that, that, you know, look, this worked. This was a business. We made money. And everyone that's worked in that house has already gotten more business off of it. And sure enough, one of the guys that worked in the house, I called the other day and he's like five months out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, good for him, right? I'll have to deal with that. And I will deal with that. And then to go on and and the last part of that was that we attached a charity to it. Which I think is so great. Which was HAM, which provides the only affordable health insurance that working awesome musicians have. And I'm done with the gala deal. So the whole thing was they get 100% of any money we raise. And if we are able to sell the house and make enough money, we will give them part of the proceeds, which we did. My sister and I did. We did really well with it. After thinking I was going bankrupt the year before with COVID, we were in the big fat middle of it. And the day before I sent all my employees home, to work remotely, I had bought a $15,000 Geoponte desk for the home office. <laughs> so I thought, oh, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm in big trouble and I don't have time to recover from this. Right. And it just turned and went the other direction. So I'm hoping that that worked and was so successful that it'll encourage other people to do the same thing, right? Right. And, and one of the things that impressed me about, you know, I only saw photographs of the house. I mean, it is a very glam, very rock and roll house. It is not by any stretch of the imagination, and I'm going to resort to cliches here, you know, (laughs) Southwestern or Tex-Mex or anything. None of your work, all three of you, none of you I would consider any way Western or influenced or whatever. And I want to get a sense, Avery, we'll start with you. Was there an aesthetic in Austin that you had to push against or was it wide open? Did you have very sophisticated clients from the get-go? Listen, the people who do decorate with the Southwest theme in New York City, I've seen it. So, you know, painting broad brush here. But, you know, was there a set of you guys, none of you are traditionally Texan in your look. And was that an issue or was that never an issue? I had a very sophisticated first client. It was myself. Oh, very <laughs> and good. And I <laughs> was so able yourself. to. I love that. <laughs> It was a slow process. I had to push against less of the uh, Southwestern look and more against like the sort of Pinterest mainstream modern farmhouse oh, vibe. Oh, totally. Strong right. in Austin. And for me, I mean, I'm still in a rental property and I was able to just carve out three photos that I built my firm on and just stick to that and slow and steady find clients that allowed me to be really expressive. And so I worked part-time jobs and it took a while to build up the business and to get clients that really allow me to be incredibly creative and artistic. And I had to say no to a lot of work that did not feel creatively satisfying. And I, I chose to say no to that work and do other things like be a barista for two years. 
rather than take the trade off. So right. that was my strategy. I think that was probably very smart. And Malcolm, you were brought to Austin from a long term client. But do you think that you're going to be able to expand your client base? I mean, yours, I mean, all three of you are very sophisticated looks here and aesthetics and, and approach to your work. But do you think that's going to be an issue or you, you're not worried about that? No, I mean, I don't have the bandwidth to take on much more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole thing about the Texas aesthetic, I just want to say two things quickly. I want to say I'm so, so happy that Fern did that AD interview where she, you know, we talked about this at when I was at the opening of that yes. house. And we talked about that in the kitchen that we both, you know, I give all my sources away. And it has never come back to hurt me. It has only helped me because I can't keep these people in business all the time. So I'm a big believer in that too. The whole thing about a Texas aesthetic though, it's interesting. You know, I learned so much from my grandparents, especially my grandmothers who were both really sophisticated women, Texan women, but they all came from somewhere else. And one was a decorator and she loved Mexico and she spent a lot of time there and they traveled the world. But, you know, Texas has a very interesting history that comes from all kinds of European precedents. Totally. And a lot of glamour in, in Texas. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right. So, for sure. you know, the way that I design and decorate, whether it's been in London or in New York or in Los Angeles or in Austin, is really, it's eclectic. It's I'm a collector. I'm a storyteller. And I'm helping yeah. a client tell their story. And then there is this idea of what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a, a professor and a poet. I wanted to be a writer. So I have this very academic... Yeah, yeah. I have this very academic approach to design and aesthetics too. And, you know, Alexander Pope in a really amazing letter talks about the sense of place, the genius loci. And you got to create that wherever you are. You can have the most beautiful French tapestries and you can have all this stuff. But if you're in Texas, we need to do something that shows us where we are. You know, and like Fern's project was a great example of that. It was glamorous and it was worldly. But I knew that I was in Austin and especially with the nod to the musicians, you know, that whole, all those photographs and, you know, and yet a well-traveled life, a well-curated life. And then where are you going to call home? So that's kind of what we create. And I would love to do more work in Austin. You know, for me, it's, I look to who's the client, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I'm doing a project. I just took something on in Charlotte, North Carolina now. People are moving all over the place because right. they can. And working remotely has opened up all kinds of possibilities. So I think, you know, if I wanted to have more clients in Austin, I've turned down a couple of things because I really enjoy the process and I enjoy being the person like everybody has this phone number here. If I take on more work, I have to hire more people. Right. I've done that before. That's a personal thing for me. What do I want to do next? Mexico actually looks pretty good. but um, And Mexico, again... <laughs> Highly sophisticated. Yeah, going back to Fern talking about how it's very difficult, you know, if you don't already own property in Austin, Mm -hmm. it's hard Mm -hmm. now. Right. I wish I had bought something there nine years ago when this client of mine first went there. Right. But I'm happy there and I love it. And, you know, it's it's a great town. Right. And Fern, I wanted to ask you, you know, you, you brought up this subject of big box chain stores and people buying what's immediately there. And I know this is an issue for Austin itself. How do you keep the city and how do you keep clients' homes from getting more generic when there's so much stuff that is available quickly, you know, online, whatever? I don't have to name names. Right. Uh, um, I will. Okay. (laughs) Please do. Um, Are we going to talk about sponsors other than Cherish? And Cherish (laughs) is all about the unique items. So it's fine. So, how, how do you do that? Do you find that it's become more difficult? Not really. I guess I'm over the hump of that. Um, And 
I don't have a thing against, if I have the perfect little thing that I need and West Elm has it, I don't mind doing it. Or anthropology, or, I mean, I put an Ikea lamp in a house a few years ago that was next to a $7,000 chair, nobody would ever know. Mm-hmm. But you have to set realistic expectations with your client and make sure that you're a good fit. I've turned jobs down, the same thing, the trendy interiors, the kit decorating, the, oh, I just want to go to RH and buy all this stuff. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm just the wrong person for that job, right? And it has nothing really to do with budget. That's not inexpensive. It has to do with the philosophy about how you want to live. Do you want it to be generic or do you want it to feel, I'm all about it feeling accumulated? Right. Because that's what it should be, right? I don't understand people that don't have books anymore. You know, I just think you have to have books. So I have that huge big picture discussion. And then literally you go out, you find it all. It's like putting pieces of a puzzle together. I spend ridiculous amounts of time on my iPad at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> shopping. <laughs> I think every two hours. <laughs> shopping all over the world. But I'm also in the thrift store down on 51st Street. There's several of them here. And I have found some incredible stuff. I called my staff to come down there and they're like, I don't want to go in there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, get over yourself. You know, we're we're not going to leave it like that. We're going to transform it. (laughs) And I just found a Vladdy Kagan chair in one for $250. Wow, that's a score. My client got a heck of a deal. They have to get a heck of a deal somewhere. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Because some stuff's not a heck of a deal. But it's all in the mix. It really is. The high lows, that's part of the fun. That's part of the creativity. And it comes from everywhere. Right. Just everywhere. And Avery, what about your clients? Is there an emphasis on getting it done and speed so they'll take lesser? Or you are able to persuade them that, you know... Get a folding chair until you can get the right chair. Yes, I definitely have a lot of that. Also, think what's interesting, my business compared to the other two designers here is I'm really starting out. And a lot of the clients I have aren't able to do the whole home at one time. And they're often my contemporaries. And so it's been really fun to have that challenge of convincing them that they should wait and we can do this in stages and it should be collected and it should be gathered over time. And we'll do the living room now and then we'll go to round top and the spring and fill in the dining space and and whatever. But yeah, I feel lucky that I do have clients now that appreciate that and appreciate at least what we do at my firm, which is similar to the others here. It's eclectic. It's a mix of high-low and it's it's intentional and, and slow. So, um, yeah. Right. And, I, you know, I, I think this is so fascinating. I can't wait to get back to Austin. But I wanted to <laughs> find out from each of you what do you think is going to happen next for the city and for your firms, for your work? Do you see changes ahead? Do you see more of the same, less of the same? Malcolm, what about you? I mean, I know you only work with a few clients, but I mean, your enthusiasm for Austin is palpable. And I, I just love to get a sense of what you see ahead. I don't really know, Michael. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, I have to know. You can guess. I'm so bad at, at trends and forecast. I really just feel like I kind of do my thing. I talk to the clients. I try to figure out how to get stuff made. You know, what I'm enjoying right now about Austin is I love to find things local. Like I can get stuff made in New York and I can get stuff made in LA and I can have people in Charlotte. I want to find the people in Austin who can do stuff. So I'm like driving out, you know, off of Highway 71 to go meet somebody <laughs> and see what they do and see what they yeah. do because I like to keep it there and I still like yeah. to go and see a workroom. So I think I'm just going to keep doing the same thing. And, and it's the high-low thing that Avery was talking about. You know, I have no problem. I had to, I filled in a lot of stuff with CB2. They've got some good stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, and you can mix it totally. in. And then I have like trunks of these vintage textiles because the, I'm a collector of those. And I brought all these back from India. And, you know, a budget client who's, you can do a lot with a CB2 sofa and some vintage textile pillows and a throw. And I'm going to just keep doing what I do. You know, I've never really been the person who thinks about what's my strategy, what's my signature style. I think my website is down right now. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I, I gotta I think, say, it was not easy, Malcolm, but I did get lots of references to your grandfather who I had no idea was so famous. Let me tell you. I know, I know. It's taken me a long time to get away from that. Now I'm really grateful to him. Yeah, um, I love it. No, so I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I think more people will be coming. There's, you know, you have more wealth coming to Austin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Property prices are crazy. I mean, really insane, unsustainable. If you ask me, the bottom will fall out of that eventually. And and the Northeast is much the same. And I, I'm hoping the same that it's the the price increases will. So I think in Austin, though, people, you know, you have this wealth that's coming. Those are people who could choose to go any number of places, and there is something that's really special and really soulful about Austin. So those people are being drawn because they have a spark of that same soulfulness. So those things will come together and new spaces will get created. And and what my hope is, is that more artisans will be able to flourish there. And, you know, I would love to see more. I found some amazing things there in these thrift shops, you know, driving around. I mean, stuff that would be like, you know, on 10th Street in New York for thousands of dollars. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, look at this. It's amazing. (laughs) But I would love to see some more boutiques and galleries because sometimes you just want to take a client somewhere where it's really easy to buy something beautiful and put it in your car and have it delivered that afternoon. That's difficult in Austin. Um, So I'm hopeful that maybe that will be one of the next things is, you know, maybe some design galleries, furniture Mm -hmm. stores, Mm -hmm. makers, Mm -hmm. weavers will open outposts in Austin. Richard Shapiro. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Where is Richard Shapiro? Avery, what about you? Because we're going to end with you, Fern, because you've been there the longest. I want to get, what about you, Avery? I just hope that I keep getting people who appreciate my perspective. And I really, that's the dream, right? Is to keep getting projects where I get to express myself creatively and collaborate with the client. And I agree with Malcolm, like the budgets are getting higher. The wealth coming into Austin is definitely helping things. I'm at a point right now where I'm wrapping up some projects that have taken three years plus. And I'm I'm really excited to be able to start sharing some of my work. And I just hope that that comes back around and I sort of can level up at this point. That's my personal career hope in Austin. And then in general, for Austin as a design city, I agree. I hope that we get some more resources and people start to see Austin as a really sophisticated place and an ideal city to open a business, open a gallery, have more showrooms, uh, workrooms, etc. And so I really hope Austin is seen as 
a sophisticated design city and also that the people moving here realize what a treasure trove they're sitting on of talent in Austin and decide to hire designers that live here and work in Texas instead of importing from California or New York City or wherever else. So yeah, that's my hope for Austin and, and I see it going that way. Great. And Fern, will you get the last word? You've seen so many changes. What do you see ahead? I see Austin definitely becoming more cosmopolitan. It'll have some good and some bad with mm-hmm. it, right? We have never, ever had any depth of retail here or wonderful shops full of things that a great collector collected to sell, that kind of thing. There's been a few here and there, and there still are a few here and there. We need more. So I'm hoping that I just had a phone call from someone in L.A. last week that was talking about he's either going to move to Palm Desert and open a second location or Austin. And I'm thinking I've bought big Art Deco pieces from him, you know, originals and Giacometti and things like that. I don't know that there's enough people here yet that understand that, that have the money to go Mm -hmm. along with the understanding. It's certainly much bigger than it used to be. I'm hoping that goes forward because I think for all the things I love about Austin, we certainly never missed a trend here in the architecture and design community. I mean, just we went from like hill country, generic, whatever that was, to white boxes. Oh, first we did the Texas Tuscan thing, which is the worst. (laughs) And then we did the hill country generic thing. And then we did the white box. And now we're doing the modern farmhouse. So there's where we need, as more people move in from other places, and it attracts talent like these two people that I'm on the screen with. I mean, so talented, but they're coming in from somewhere else too. And I think the city will only benefit from that. Everyone will benefit from that. So that that's my big hope is that we stay the oddball place in Texas. I think we will always stay the oddball place in Texas. And, and I cherish that. I mean, um, and become more cosmopolitan at the same time. Right. Well, it sounds to me like anybody who is thinking of moving to Austin, and you guys have all made it sound incredibly appealing. It sounds like you better move soon, especially if you're an artisan or you want to open a design shop. So <laughs> go to Austin is my advice. Do it quickly. And I want to thank my guests, this incredible trio here of Fern Santini, Avery Cox, and Malcolm James Kuttner, big fans of the city, as am I, and keep Austin weird. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Cherish Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or even better, go to the iTunes store and post a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and edited by Max Solomon of Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time. <laughs>